Well, good morning uh, to you all. I would uh, add my welcome to Paul. Uh, my name is John Bandai. I'm one of the uh, deacons here at Genesis and uh, delighted to be with you here this morning and uh, to continue in our series uh, in Psalms. Uh, we've been in Psalms um, throughout the last few weeks, and I think it's been a great time so far. I remember when uh, Michael kind of started out the series, and uh, he mentioned this idea that we're all paradoxes, right? We all have our ups and downs in our walk with God. One day, we're trusting God. The next day, we're asking questions like, God, where are you? So I know that uh, with that first message, message in the Psalms, I was really drawn in to that idea, this idea of paradox, and it's been great to spend time in there. And uh, the other thing that's great about the Psalms is that it's just so highly personal, right? We're getting the privilege and the opportunity to read you know, the thoughts, emotions, prayers of men and women in Scripture um, that uh, are uh, walking with God. And, um, and, and likewise, uh, for me, it's a, it's, it's a very personal thing. And I know we all have our uh, favorite psalms. Uh, my favorite psalm is uh, Psalm 31, and that's, uh, that's the psalm we'll be spending some time in this morning. It's a psalm that I've really loved and really kind of been obsessed with uh, for a long time, really for a number of reasons. First of all, I kind of feel like it's my psalm. Um, I know I'm probably about the billionth person that's read it, uh, but it, it's my favorite psalm. It's the one that speaks to me the most. Um, it's a very inspiring psalm. It's a place I can always go to when I need an encouraging word, either for myself or for others. Uh, I feel like it's pretty self-explanatory. It's, it's easy to understand. You don't need to break out a commentary to really get in there and to relate to it. Uh, whether you've been walking with God for 10 years or 10 minutes, uh, it's something that you can really relate to. It's a psalm of David, which I like. I think David's a, a fascinating character in scripture. Uh, he's someone who's passionate, someone who's heroic, someone who's flawed, uh, someone whose God attests to as having a heart after his own. And then again, for me personally, it's a psalm that's been very impactful for me in my life and, and something, like I said, that I turn to for encouragement or that I turn to for wisdom at key moments in my life. And so something I'd ask you this morning to think about, um, kind of an overarching question, is how is your relationship with God how is your walk with God, your time in scripture, your time in prayer, your time in worship, uh, how is that ultimately shaping you? You know, going beyond how does it make you feel or what do you think about it intellectually, how is it really shaping your life and your worldview and the way that you live? I first read uh, Psalm 31 in uh, my early 20s uh, during a time period I jokingly call my early 20s midlife crisis. Um, we all have a midlife crisis. I just happen to have mine much earlier than most. Um, but it was, it was a period of my life where I just didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. Um, I was just starting out in the workforce. I wasn't particularly good at my job, and so every day seemed really challenging. Um, I wasn't making very much money at the time, so I was kind of thinking about month to month how I was going to make it. Uh, I was single at the time. I wouldn't have admitted it because I want to appear tough, but I wanted to be married, and there were no prospects on the horizon at the time. And so I remember just having many sleepless nights, uh, just kind of up thinking about my future, thinking about my life. Uh, I felt like my life was this blank canvas, and I didn't know how I was going to fill it in. And so I remember it was during this time that I first read Psalm 31. Uh, I was going through the Psalms. I think I just kind of thought it was a good thing to read through. It would be an encouragement uh, to me. And I got to Psalm 31, and it really just hit me. It was one of those moments where you're just reading Scripture and you're like, God, you know, I feel like this is what you had for me in Scripture um, and what I'm reading through. I feel like you're speaking to me directly through this passage. 
And the whole of Psalm 31 is really good. I'm not going to read through it all this morning. Um, like I said, I've come back to it a lot. It's very rich. It's got a lot of depth. It's very encouraging. Uh, but there was a particular passage uh, in Psalm 31, or a particular set of verses, I should say, uh, that really spoke to me. And it was Psalm 31, 14, and 15. And it reads this way. It says, But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. So this, again, is, is David speaking to the Lord. And one thing I found about Scripture, sometimes Scripture uh, just asks you really blunt basic questions that challenge you about your life. And for me, uh, at this particular time in my life and going forward, the questions were, where am I placing my trust? Where am I finding my identity? And what am I hoping for in the future? And so these were big questions that I wrestled with for uh, some time and that have continued to shape me over the last few years. And so what I want to do this morning is just share some of what God has taught me um, from those questions and uh, maybe also give you a couple of questions to think about as well. So the first question is, where am I placing my trust? And as we get into this idea of trust and what trust is, I have to be real about this uh, word trust with you this morning. And by being real, I mean that for me, in a lot of my life, this was a word that had maybe lost a little bit of its meaning. You see it everywhere. You see it on our currency. Our currency says, in God we trust. It's kind of a, a typical Christian thing to say, right? Someone's like, hey, how are you doing? And you're like, oh, you know, I'm really trusting God these days. We pray it an awful lot, right? Like it's one of those prayers you fall back upon when you get called on to pray in community group. You don't really know what to pray, and so you pray, hey, God, we trust in you tonight. And at times I've been cynical about this word trust as well. Like, can I really trust anyone, right? Like when I, I get it when I'm a kid. I'm young. I need someone to take care of me. I trust my parents. But... Now that I'm an adult and I'm out and I'm living life, like is trust really something that I should do? Can I trust people? Or do I ultimately just need to put my trust in myself? Do I ultimately just have to take care of myself? And so for a variety of reasons, like I've mentioned, I think trust is a word that's lost some meaning in society, and it's definitely something that loses meaning for me. So, you know, and I'll typically read a verse like the one we read today, uh, David saying, but I trust in you, O Lord, and I just kind of read that like filler, right? It's like David's starting a new thought. It's a nice thing to say, all right, let me get into the meat of this. Let me move past this quickly. And so I've realized that for me, I need to really sit with this word trust. And I need to kind of think about what the word trust means. And what does it mean to trust in God? And I need to kind of resensitize myself to it a little bit because it's something that I've kind of uh, grown numb to. And so I thought a lot about this word trust. And I realized a couple of things. The first thing I've realized is that um, for a lot of my life, I misunderstood what trust looked like or what trust meant. I think for a lot of my life, I understood trust to mean uh, simply relying upon God for my eternal salvation and my general safety in the world, right? And so I think to myself, hey, God, please save me from hell. God, please keep anything terrible from happening in my life. Help me to not get sick, help me not to have, you know, a terrible car crash, help the Red Sox to start winning some games this summer, things along those lines, like, Lord, save me from the really terrible things in life. And there's no doubt that there's an element of trust in that, uh, but I think what I've learned throughout my uh, time just walking with God is that trust is more than that. Trust is active, not passive. And so I've learned that trust includes following uh, and fighting, 
In other words, following Jesus and fighting for Jesus' kingdom. So if I trust someone, if I trust in Jesus, it means that I'm going on the journey with him. Uh, I'm not just sitting back and watching him go on the journey. I'm following him. And following means I'm growing in Christ-likeness. I'm growing more like Christ as I spend time in prayer, as I spend time in the word and through the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't tell his disciples, okay, you guys be safe. You sit over here to the side. I'm going to go out and save the world. I'll be back later to pick you up. But Jesus' encouragement and his command to his disciples was to follow him. Matthew 4, 19 says, come follow me. Uh, John 14 and 15 says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. One of the things I've learned is that I can't really go wrong following Jesus and growing more like Jesus. Secondly, if we trust in Jesus, then it also means that we're fighting for his kingdom, which is kind of a fancy Christian way of saying that we want to see other people come to know him and to grow more like him. So what does this look like, practically speaking, for me? Well, if I'm fighting for Jesus, it means that I'm relational. I get to know people. I'm not living life in a vacuum and just kind of doing my own thing. It means that I'm willing to speak the truth about Jesus to anyone at all times, which can certainly be challenging. It means that I serve as Christ serves. I take on this attitude, this lifestyle of a servant. And it means that I am willing to be generous with what God has given me, just as God has been generous with me. So I don't want to miss out on the fight. I don't want to live life on the sidelines. I want to be in the fight if I say I'm trusting in God. So anyhow, that's one thing I've learned about trust. Trust is not passive. Trust is an active thing. Secondly, if that's how we define trust, I've realized that I often misplace trust uh, in my life. And I fall victim to what I call the crazy trust seesaw. Now, you all are maybe familiar with a seesaw. I I don't see them around as much anymore, but it's the children's toy where you kind of go back and forth, up and down, one person sitting on either side. And so I define this crazy trust seesaw, it's my way of thinking about it, as really uh, when I go back and forth between trusting in myself and completely relying upon and trusting in other people. And what I found in my experience is that ultimately, neither approach is a great long-term strategy. First of all, trusting in other people, putting my faith in my trust in other people doesn't really work. Now, it sounds a little bit cynical, and I'm certainly not saying that everyone has no level of trustworthiness. I mean, there's obviously varying levels and varying things that you can trust people for. But if we define trust as someone I'm following and someone I'm fighting for, uh, then ultimately, I can't place my trust in, uh, in other people um, in the long run. And it really comes down to character and capability. From a character standpoint, again, there's a scale. And certainly, I'm not saying everyone has the same character or that character doesn't matter. But no person other than Jesus has perfect character. No one loves me perfectly. No one has my best intentions at heart all the time. No one has perfect motives. But even if they did, what I've realized is that even if they did have perfect motives for me, perfect love for me, they wouldn't necessarily have the power to bring about my best interest all the time. Even if that person had perfect love, perfect motives, perfect intentions, they wouldn't be able to do it. And so what happens is that we end up in our lives um, with a lot of disappointment. Our lives sometimes seem, seem strewn with disappointment of misplaced trust in other people whether it's that parent that didn't love you and support you just the way that you wanted or the way that you needed, I should say, whether it's that boss or that manager you put your trust in, but then they left for a better position, 
Maybe you've been at a church where you feel like the pastor uh, let you down or betrayed your trust. Or maybe you really put a lot of stock in that politician you thought was going to change things, but then they didn't win the election. If we put trust solely in people, we put unrealistic expectations on them, and ultimately we'll end up feeling disappointed. And so we ride the crazy trust seesaw, and we learn to trust in ourselves. Right? If, if, if I can't trust other people completely, maybe I can trust myself. After all, I know my needs perfectly. I get me. I know my wants and my desires and my goals. I'm really loyal to myself. Unfortunately, as life goes on, I find myself unreliable. No matter how hard I work to satisfy myself, there's always a bit more that I want that I can't quite reach. And while I thought I knew the best path that I should be on, the best journey for myself, I often find that when I'm calling the shots, life takes me to a place, or I take myself to a place in life that I don't intend. And not only that, but there's so much out there that's outside of my control. Again, even if I had perfect intentions, perfect motives for myself, I can't control every situation. I can't control other people. I can't control natural disasters, the world economy, any number of things. So how do I break this cycle of alternating trust between myself and others? It's a tough question. Ultimately, I have to put my trust in a God who has perfect character and perfect capability. A God that can save me. A God that will forgive and be gracious to me. And a God that is worthy to follow. In Psalm 31, David says the Lord is his rock and his fortress. And he states that God has been faithful to him. Like Michael and others have said in this series, we have character issues and trust issues. We are a paradox, but God is not. God has perfect character and a perfect love for us. So again, one question for us to ask this morning, who are we trusting and where are we placing our trust? And my heart today is that we'd understand what trust really looks like and who we should be trusting in. Second question that this passage really raised for me was where am I finding my identity? David says to the Lord in today's verse, you are my God. You know, it's interesting. Sometimes the things that God wants from us and for us are very simple. I know I'm a very analytical thinker. You can probably tell in the way that I'm working through this sermon. I like to complicate things. I like to make things more difficult. But sometimes what God wants is very simple. He wants us to not only acknowledge facts about him, but also to identify ourselves with him. You are my God. God wants us to personalize our relationship with him. God's not just a nice idea. He's not just a cultural construct to make us behave. God's not some scam used to manipulate us. And God's not this distant, angry force of nature that we have to contend with. God desires to be our God. You are my God, David says. I have a theory and the theory is that the my in this phrase is very important. When we say, you are God, when we talk to God and we say, you are God, we speak the truth, but we don't personalize it to ourselves. You are my God. We acknowledge our relationship with God. God's not our buddy. God's not a theory. God's not a force. God is my God. We define our relationship. And so a question I've been asking myself as I've thought about this passage is, in my prayer, in my study of God's word, in my worship, is it something that I'm kind of considering to be hypothetical or distant? 
Or am I praying to and worshiping a God that is close, that desires a personal relationship with me? And one of the most amazing things you'll learn about God as you walk with him is God is a God that desires to be in relationship with us so very badly. God is a relational God, and we, when we believe in Jesus as God's son and accept his death and resurrection as the way to God, an amazing thing happens. God becomes our perfect father. 1 John 3, 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. When God is our God, we can also call him Father in heaven, and our identity is found in him. So what does that look like practically? What does that look like for me personally to find my identity in God? It means that I have right relationship with God through belief in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It means that I can find peace in God's grace. It means that I actually choose to spend time with God and in his word rather than doing so out of compulsion. It means that I don't space out during worship, something I'm ashamed to admit that I do from time to time. I actually sing the songs and I acknowledge the words. It means I don't seek identity in other things and the idols of our time. David says in Psalm 31 as well, 31.6, he says, I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols. And lastly, it means that there's just this joy about me that I should have. I don't always have it, but I should have it. And the fact that I'm able to take on the identity of God's child. The last thing that this passage really challenged me with is this question of what am I hoping for in the future? And it's kind of a question that ties together the first two parts, right? Who are we trusting in? Where are we finding our identity? What are we hoping for in the future? And it's really been a challenging question for me. What am I hoping for in the future for my future? And to be clear, I think it's good to have goals and it's good to have hopes for the future. It's good that we have our passions and the things that we care about. It's good to desire good things like friendships and community and family, success in ministry, growth of the church, notable in career field, a positive impact on those around us. It's good for us to strive after these things and to put effort into the hopes and dreams that we have. The question is, and it's a question I've had to wrestle with, is am I content to live my version of life or am I willing to engage in the life that God has for me? Am I willing to trade my good plan for my life for God's perfect plan? And what I love about what David says in this passage is that he fully surrenders himself to God. He says, my times are in your hands. And this is really a profound statement. Um, it's something I had to kind of think about to really grasp, but I kind of take a dual meaning from David saying this. First of all, it means that he's entrusting God with the broader times that he lives in. And then he's also trusting God for his individual time as well. In short, it was a great way of David saying that all of his life was fully submitted to God. And of course, David learned to do this because of the journey that God had led him on. If we look at David's timeline or David's story, he started out at the beginning of his story as really a nobody shepherd in a nobody family. He spent a lot of time by himself. 
and it was up to him to protect his family's flocks. God then plucks him from total obscurity, and he becomes this amazing warrior, this gladiator, this giant killer. He defeats Goliath, and he earns the praise of everyone around him. He's a societal icon, the likes of which we just don't see today. His military exploits continue to pile up. He's in the good graces of the king of the land. And not only that, he marries the king's daughter. But then all of a sudden, things take a turn. The king gets jealous of him. He gets jealous of the fact that people are singing songs about him and not Saul, King Saul. And so King Saul goes crazy with jealousy and drives David away. David goes on the run and he's pursued like a fugitive. He's like a combination of Benedict Arnold and Edward Snowden. He's totally toxic. And he's probably also very confused at this point. I mean, we would be too, right? We had this great story going. God had lifted him up from nowhere. God had made him great. And now all of a sudden, it's David's time in the wilderness. Ultimately, of course, God restores David to his rightful place. He becomes king, and certainly the ups and downs of his walk with God don't end there. Uh, But I do believe that these experiences that David had taught him about the importance of placing his future in God's hands. And look, when things were bad, I'm sure he had his questions. I'm sure he questioned the script that God had put him on when he was in exile. God, are you sure you didn't mess this up? I was really digging the zero to hero storyline you had me on. It was really good. I'm not a big fan of what's going on right now. David expresses this in Psalm 31, 10 and 11. David says, For my life is spent with sorrow, and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity, and my bones waste away. Because of all my adversaries, I've become a reproach, especially to my neighbors, and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. Right? We can relate to that a little bit. I mean, people don't flee from me on the street usually. uh, But I, I can relate to those feelings. And that's just how we feel in life sometimes. And look, most of us haven't had quite the, the swings uh, that, that David experienced in his life. Maybe we have. I don't want to discount that. Um, but we all have times when we question the script that God has for us. And I'm not really talking about the parts of our lives, the parts of our script that are the way they are because of our own sin or the mistakes that we make. Or at least looking at myself, I know I always have a tendency to mess things up. Uh, but I'm talking about the things in life that we can't control. Sickness unemployment, brokenness, disappointment in relationships that are no fault of our own, loneliness. What I've learned over the years, though, is that the journey may be tough, and God's result in our lives at this moment may not be what we envisioned, but ultimately, it's always to my benefit, even if I don't understand it at the moment. God's vision, God's result is always better. And ultimately, David attests to this as well later in Psalm 31, when he says, Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. Look, if I take this and, and personalize it to myself, I'm not going to make up the story and act like I had this hard scrabble life growing up on the mean streets of Winchester, Massachusetts, <laughs> right? People that know Winchester are laughing because it's a nice suburban town. It has its problems, but I'm, I'm very blessed. But God still had me on a journey, and he still used my journey, my script, in order to grow me. 
and to make me uh, into uh, a more godly person than I was before. Some examples. I've been in ministry or around ministry my whole life. Uh, My father was a pastor. It was kind of the family business uh, growing up. And so I've seen throughout the years both the good in ministry and the challenging times in ministry in the church. Uh, But ultimately, God's used those situations in my life to grow my love for the church. I'm certainly not perfect. You're certainly not perfect. There are lots of things uh, in the church setting and God's people uh, that can be challenging. Um, But God certainly used my experience in the church just to grow my love for it, even in spite of the imperfections. God's used my career to build character into me. Uh, I'm a salesperson. Sometimes I wonder why. Uh, it's, it's definitely very challenging. Uh, and I wonder sometimes, how did I get to the point where I'm cold calling strangers uh, all day? What did I do, God, to deserve this? Um, and I deal with a lot of rejection. I deal with a lot of pressure from management. Um, and, you know, if you've been in sales or that type of job, I'm sure you can relate. Uh, but the truth is God's used my career just to bless me uh, in such big ways and to grow in me a humility an understanding of all the things that I don't know, uh, a character of perseverance, and ultimately God's used it uh, to provide for me well beyond my capabilities, so I'm very thankful for that. Or take my marriage, for example. And I realize I'm wandering into kind of dangerous territory here, so I'll tread lightly. Um, But my wife, Rachel, has been the biggest gift that God's given to me, um, aside from uh, my relationship with him. She's such an encouragement. She's such a blessing. Uh, We've been married for about two and a half years now. been together for four years. And so it's been such a blessing. But if you told 20-year-old John Bandai that when you're 30, John, you're going to be a deacon in the church that preaches from time to time, you're going to be a salesperson, and you're going to be married by 30, I would have said, huh, it's an interesting script, God. Not sure what I think about that. Why would I be in sales? Why would I want that for a career? Right? Why would I want to be in ministry after having grown up in ministry? Married? All right. I mean, maybe when I'm 30, I'll start to think about marriage. I certainly wouldn't have thought that I would have been married for a few years already. But the testimony of my life is that God's script has ultimately been so much better than the script that I would have had for myself. And it's something that I'm really thankful for. And it's something that inspires hope in me for the future when I look back and I'm thankful for the road that God has had me on, both the good and the bad. So what I've learned is to hope for the future, or what I've learned to hope for in the future is that God's will would be done in my life and that ultimately his plan would take place for his glory. I don't hope for my version of the future, my script, but I hope for the future that God has for me. I've learned to say, albeit imperfectly at times, God, my times are in your hand. And David indeed closes uh, Psalm 31 with the encouragement, be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. Okay, so I've talked for a while up here now, as you're all aware. How do we kind of wrap things up? Well, I wanted to return to my opening question. How is your relationship with God shaping you? What I just love about the Psalms, as Michael and Kendall have pointed out in recent weeks, is that it's just a genuine reflection of people's walk with God. It's raw. It's real. And it can be paradoxical at times, 
not because of who God is, but because of who we are, how we are a paradox. I've asked some questions this morning. I've talked about how this psalm has influenced me. And you may have your thoughts about it. It may have resonated or it may have not. But the question is, what is the nature of your relationship with God today? Is it real? Is it raw? Do you have honest conversations with God about your life, your hurts, your challenges, your frustrations? Know that throughout the course of human history, Jesus has always responded to these conversations with grace and love. And that's not to say that Jesus won't challenge us in our sin or the areas that we need to grow. But ultimately, the message of Jesus is a message of grace to those that would believe in him. You don't have to take my word for it. Here's some things that Jesus said. Matthew 11, 28 and 29, Jesus says, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Matthew 15, 30 and 31 reads, this is about Jesus. It says, And great crowds came to him, him being Jesus, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, and the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. John 12, 46, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, I have come into the world so whoever believes in me may not remain, I'm sorry, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in the darkness. My encouragement to you this morning, if you haven't been in conversation with Jesus lately, if you haven't really been in relationship with Jesus lately, or if that relationship isn't shaping you. Start that conversation today. Start a conversation with a powerful, gracious God that wants you to know him and call him Father. Father.